Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are acutely aware that the tension is rising across the Bundesliga as we get closer to the end. But hey, we're just trying our best, like everybody else, to hold it together right now. With me, as always, is Nick Wildhagen. How are you holding up, Nick? I'm probably holding up better than a, than a guy who's been locked inside his house by his girlfriend because he has polyamorous tendencies, but uh, probably not as good as somebody who just ran into Gobi Dodic at the grocery store, if that makes sense. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm great. I can't say that it really does make sense, but I'm, I'm just going to go with it, man. I'm just going to go with it. I'm feeling loopy. You know, if there is a recipe for feeling loopy and groggy, it is to get your first COVID vaccine shot and then go into daylight savings time changeover as happened last night. So I'm, I'm shit. <laughs> exactly. All right. This week, we're going to have a look at the intrigue at the top of the table after the Red Bulls hit a bit of a banana peel. We'll check on how Pal Dardai is sleeping at night and we'll talk about how salvation may be on the way for Schalke, but not just yet. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This match day was match day 25. Yeah, things are kind of happening at various parts of the table, most notably at the top of it, where where Bayern München have opened up a four-point lead on RB Leipzig. You know, for those of us who like tight title races, we're, we're questioning ourselves because Le- Leipzig had really been holding steady in the last few weeks. They had won six straight in the Bundesliga, they were putting some good pressure on Bayern. And, you know, if they had kept that two-point gap intact for just another couple of weeks, they would have gone into that big game with Bayern on match day 27 with a chance to overtake them. Well, you know, we can throw all those subjunctive fantasies out the window because Leipzig met their match on Sunday. It was a 1-1 draw with Eintracht Frankfurt. Tight first half. Emil Forsberg got the second stanza off with a bang, but they were unable to build on that good start as Daichi Kamada. Even the score just after the hour mark, as I said, ended up level. Nick, I really think Leipzig had plenty of chances to put this one away or get off to a a cleaner start, let's just say. I feel like they only have themselves and maybe, you know, Kevin Trapp to blame for not getting it done here. Yeah, I mean, they, even in the first half, they had uh, enough chances to get the lead during the first 45 minutes. Um, it took a rebound. Emil Forsberg converted after a shot by uh, Justin Kluivert. Justin Kluivert, by the way, had a had a really active match, uh, really active performance, uh, being all, all over the pitch. Disappointing from a Norwegian perspective that we didn't see as much of Alexander Zerlot as we've seen on the two previous matches. He, he got a, another start for the Rasenballsportlers, as I like to call them. But in the end, it was a slip-up in defense that saw Deji Kamada being, uh, you know, left alone in the box. And uh, from nine yards, he pretty much got off a decent enough chance to to defeat Peter Golosic. And uh, after Frankfurt had found that reply, it was uh, really a case of Frankfurt defending and defending well enough for the for the rest of the match that granted them that point and uh, you know we we can look at this at uh, from two angles it's either you know the angle of Leipzig dropping two points Leipzig should have won this match yes 
But on the other hand side, I mean, they played against Eintracht Frankfurt, a side that is in the top four alongside them, a side that has actually won against Bayern München this season. So they met an opponent that was rather decent. And uh, Bayern, on the other hand side, they met an opponent that they um, haven't had any troubles with for the last 12 or 13 years or so. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's a good thing for sure for Eintracht that they were able to get this result this week because they've got some very critical games coming up. They face basically <laughs> the three teams closest to them in the table, the two below them and the one above them in the next three weeks. They have Dortmund away, home to Wolfsburg. Preceding those two is they are home to Union uh, Berlin. This could be a, a real make-or-break period for Frankfurt. Are you are you leaning more towards the make or the break side of that? I mean, it's difficult to say because Dortmund have been so topsy-turvy all season long. They have dropped point unexpectedly against sides from the bottom half of the table, and then they've gone on to win against the likes of RB Leipzig in rather convincing fashion. So I think it depends on how stable Dortmund are going to be throughout the rest of the season, because even if Dortmund wins the match against Frankfurt, given that they've had that tendency to not get their act together against uh, sides from the bottom half of the table, if they're not able to turn that off uh, for for the rest of the season, I, I tend to say that Frankfurt might be in with a bit of a chance here. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely keeping their heads above water, which is all they need to do uh, up until, I guess, the end of the season. They, they basically have that run of Union, Dortmund, Wolfsburg. We all thought that that Gladbach game, which follows those, was going to be uh, more critical, but <laughs> that's beginning to fade away. Let's talk for a moment about uh, why it is uh, Leipzig now have a four-point gap at the top instead of just the two. That's because Bayern, of course, they, uh, you know, did pretty much what we thought they were going to do, which is win easily in, in Bremen. You know, Bayern were pretty much on the front foot in this game. And that's not only because they're better than Bremen, but because Bremen in recent weeks has played a very reactive game. This is how they want to play. The 3-1 win that they got... Are you chalking it up to just the fact that, uh, that, as I said, Bayern are basically in a different category to Bremen at the moment? Or, you know, we all saw Bremen getting that big result at midweek in the makeup game against Bielefeld, which basically pushed them over the line. They don't really feel like they have a lot of relegation worries to deal with anymore. Was this maybe also just Bremen t- taking a bit of a deep breath? Well, I think it's uh, Bayern taking each and every game series now that now that they have that short distance down to Leipzig on, on the other hand side. Yes, uh, that midweek fixture against Bielefeld definitely cost a lot. And uh, given that Florian Kofeld doesn't necessarily have a lot of chances to juggle around his team, and uh, you know, once the starting eleven isn't isn't the same, there's always a drop in quality. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Bremen sort of came in on the back foot already in the match, given that they had a very demanding fixture against Bielefeld, and Bielefeld really pushed them quite hard. And Bielefeld should have done better in that match if you look at the numbers and if you look at those chances. Bayern were rather lucky to get away with a 2-0 win in that feature. So, uh, given that, yeah, it's, it's not surprising that Bayern um, found it side that was rather tired and uh my my word Bayern really um 
really took the game to Bremen and they should have actually won by more than that 3-1 margin because uh, Robert Lewandowski hit uh, the woodwork on three different occasions. <gasps> and at one point you thought that, well, wow, it's not going to happen for Robert Lewandowski. But then again, you know, Ludwig Augustinsson was kind enough to queue him up with, you know, three yards in front of goal. And he didn't make any mistakes from that kind of distance. And uh, that meant that he actually now has three more records. He is on 32 goals after 25 match days, which is a record in the Bundesliga. He has equaled Klaus Fischer's second place in the all-time goal-scoring table of the Bundesliga. And additionally, he's now scored against 16 opponents within one season which uh, equals Ailton's record from uh, Bremen's last championship winning campaign in 2003-2004. And uh, bad news for Ailton and Werder is the fact that uh, Robert Lewandowski can make it 17 opponents if he gets a goal against uh, RB Leipzig. So um, definitely a crazy match, a score that flatters Werder Bremen. And uh, yeah... uh, you know, I'm 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 going to go with the old Sebastian Pirlo quote. It's um, yeah, playing against Bayern München is like going to the dentist. You have to do it once or twice a year, and it always really hurts. Indeed, indeed. I think I think, in, and you brought it up uh, a moment ago with uh, Robert Lewandowski's uh, chance to break Ailton's record. They do have that big date with Leipzig coming up. I think Leipzig are probably going to be looking at this. Not just as a trip to the dentist, maybe if you if you go to the dentist and you you bring your own drill and you're you're ready to drill back at the <laughs> dentist. I don't. Many of us don't do that, but I think Leipzig might be prepared to to give it a go. I'm looking at the sort of run up to that fixture, and despite the fact that Bayern have opened up this four point lead, I'm feeling okay about where this is going. I mean, Leipzig Leipzig are out of the Champions League now. They have the, the week off here. They face Bielefeld next weekend, which is not the, the, the easiest game with Bielefeld uh, getting desperate. But, you know, let's face it, they're bad. Bayern have a second leg against Lazio on Wednesday. They've got a date with Stuttgart on match day 26th. Then there's the, the international break. And when they come back, there they are. Facing Leipzig, is it going to be still a four-point gap at that point, or do you think that there is maybe a chance? Because Stuttgart, as we know, are no mugs, and especially when they're playing away. Yeah, I think if I was a betting man, I would bet on the four-point gap being still in place. But having said that, you're not going to make any money that way. <laughs> <laughs> but you won't lose any. Yes, indeed. Um, well, I, I think Bayern, Bayern Munich definitely have the, the tougher schedule of the two. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a fair statement and and, and a true statement. I think I was kind of uh, loading things that way. In any case, all right, let's switch gears. Let's let's think about some other big fixtures from the weekend. There was a a pair of games that I think had an interesting sort of uh, set of commonalities. It was a you know two European regulars who are sort of trying to fight their way back into the mix against uh, a duo who are really desperate to stay in the top flight. Clear winners and losers in these, not just literally as in the games we had winners and losers, but, you know, figuratively too. First up, I want to talk about Bayer Leverkusen. They have been slowly sort of creeping down the table for months, but it looked like maybe they had turned a corner uh, after that win in Mönchengladbach last week. Anyway, on Sunday, they they... You know, it looked like it was going to be one of your easier fixtures, at least uh, when, you, when you're sort of adding up the numbers, uh, looking ahead. Home to Bielefeld, very, very surmountable challenge. But they just, 
you know, the visitors were way more up for it in terms of actually finishing chances and sort of fighting. A 2-1 win for Bielefeld in the end. The Leverkusen goal didn't come until five minutes from time, so there was a bit of a furious uh, fight-back attempt happening, but it was just too little too late. Nadim Amiri, after this game, Nick, he said he was at a bit of a loss for words to explain how they let this game get out of hand. If you want to talk about this game or if you want to talk about the fact that that Leverkusen are basically in the midst of, of troubled times, uh, go either way. But do you have words for this? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, Bielefeld, uh, you got to give them that. They are a side that puts a lot of fight into each and every match. They did two midweek uh, against Werder Bremen, didn't reward themselves. But this time around, they did reward themselves for all the extra effort they went through. I mean, they went, they ran six kilometers more than Bayer. And they were really ruthless on the counter and created two or three really good chances and took two of them. For both, you have to say that um, the marking and the um, and, and the fact that Armenia didn't count with an awful lot of men up the pitch. I mean, the first goal saw two or three Armenia players playing against three or four Bayer Leverkusen players, yet Doan got to the ball first. Bit of a fortunate finish there, but, you know, got it under the bar. And the second one, Okawanga, he, um, yeah, he was left all alone in front of uh, Leverkusen's goalkeeper, Renner, and he finished that ever so coolly. But, um, you know, when, when you see that two players are trying to run down Luqui and um, none of the players are actually marking the guy who's all by himself in the in front of goal, you wonder what has happened to the defense there. I mean, it, it went basically... Um, AWOL for, for those two goals. And, um, when you are sloppy at the back and you, the last pass is oftentimes missing. And we've talked about this before because when you watch Leverkusen these days, you feel like they're doing 70, 80% of the things right that they want to do. But then there's that last pass, that last movement, that last run that is just missing. And they're not going on that last run. They're not playing that last pass. They're not creating that one on one with the goalkeeper. Instead, they are ending up having 20 shots per game and most of them coming from you know unfavorable positions and there's really your answer to why they are in that kind of rut right now yeah yeah they've got a lot of work to do if they want to actually get back into the champions league which is certainly where this club sort of uh, envisions its future as being when it starts pretty much any season you know you, you mentioned the goal scorers names earlier i think it there's a, a interesting little subplot there this is only the second time in Bundesliga history where you've had two Japanese goal scorers in a game. The other time was about five years ago, Hanover 96, with uh, their duo of Hiroki Sakai and Hiroshi Kiyotake. That's uh, a nice little a nice little tidbit for the uh, the Japan fans out there. And it's a, it's a good thing that neither match was commentated on by Jörg Dahlmann. But, you know, yes, um, yes. Jörg Dahlmann, uh, you, we'll, we'll spill the beans on what that means. Uh, Jörg Dahlmann, he's an announcer for the German uh, version of Sky Sports, and he's tried to get a little bit of a, you know, edgelord <laughs> reputation for himself in recent weeks, months, whatever. He uh, has, he made some comments earlier this season, which meant that he was already on thin ice at that club, sort of disparaging comments about, um, women or, you know, comments that were rightly viewed as, as sexist. And, you know, he followed it up about two weeks ago 
with a, a nice little way of, of describing Japan. Well, how, how did he do that? He described it as the land of the sushis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, is, is not exactly disparaging, but it's certainly belittling in a way that I think I think is is really not particularly cool. So he is out on his ear at uh, <laughs> Sky Sports in Germany. It's sort of like when you, when you have these people who then go on a rant about this being the Vogue people trying to get them out of their jobs yeah. and blah, 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 political correctness. I have a feeling Big the tomorrow. words cancel culture might have uh, entered the conversation, sadly. Yes. I mean, in, in the US, it's usually Bill Maher talking about cancel culture. But, you know, the thing about Bill Maher is that he hasn't been canceled for how long? Almost 20 years by HBO? Yeah, I think he's had a national television show on either ABC or HBO for the last 20 damn years. So, <laughs> Yeah. You tell me who's cancelled. <laughs> Decency, most of all. But yeah, I mean, returning to the match, what I have to say about Beautiful is that they have been spectacular effective this season because if you look at their XG points, they are they actually have taken three points more than they should have according to the sort of chances they've produced and the sort of chances their opponents have produced. And that is actually pretty much the best of all teams down there in, in the, in the fight against relegation. And and that really leaves them in with a chance because now they're on 15th and, um, Hey, they are pretty much in the same sort of position, like teams like Hertha and Cologne. And what really works in their favor in that regard, I think is, is the fact that they expected to be down there. I don't think Hertha did. Yep. Yeah, I think there'll be something to talk about there. We might as well start talking about Hertha because the match that they participated in this weekend had, had a very similar uh, setup to the uh, Bielefeld-Leverkusen one, only they were in Dortmund taking on the Schwarzgelden. It was a 2-0 win for Dortmund. Yeah, we'll talk about the game in a second. Not only do these games have something in common, but there is a crossover episode coming up on the horizon. Leverkusen and Hertha are, are playing each other next match day. So both these teams, having suffered some pretty stinging losses, uh, will have a lot on the line. The plot thickens. Hertha were, were, were t- pretty terrible in this game, uh, especially in the second half when I don't think that they created a single chance or shot on goal. Um, <laughs> didn't have, didn't create a corner. <laughs> real bad. Real, real bad. And, you know, it could have been worse than 2-0 in this game, to be fair, if it weren't for heroics from Rudy Yashtein, their goalkeeper. Yeah. Except for the fact that he was at fault on both of the goals himself. Uh, one was a totally savable shot from distance. The other one, uh, he got nutmegged from a tight angle by uh, Mukoko. Really depressing game. Really depressing game, Nick. But for Dortmund, it was not depressing. It was good. They passed up uh, Leverkusen uh, in the standings. You know, it also meant that Bielefeld, who won, won against Leverkusen, passed up Hertha in the standings. Obviously, the last two seasons for Hertha have been Turbulent. Um, yeah, really bad. Um, Pal Dardai, though, he's who's been sort of out of the loop for a little while. He said he wasn't going to get worried about how things were going until he couldn't sleep at night. Uh, he reported on, on Sunday, the day after this game, that he, he didn't sleep well. He was tossing and turning, especially things didn't get better when he saw Bielefeld beat Leverkusen either. Is he right to be worried right now? Of course he is. I mean, let's look at the situation down there at the table. You've got Mainz who are on a bit of a run. Um, You've got Bielefeld who 
pick up points every now and then, but uh, put in a lot of spiritist performances each and every week. You've got somehow passed up by Cologne, who are terrible side, dreadful to watch, but they their style of football sort of produces results. Additionally, Werder Bremen and Augsburg, who are two other terrible sides, have sort of opened up this massive margin of comparatively eight and nine points on the relegation ranks, and we only have nine more matches to go. Yeah. So yes, one or t- one or both of those sides could slip back into the fight against relegation, but that means that you do have to put pick up a lot of points, and the sides around you would have to do that the same thing. So, is that likely to happen at that point? And uh, given the performance against Dortmund, where yes, oh, Rune Jarstein, that first goal was so savable. I've got to defend him on the second one because I think, given that that shot came at a lot of pace and that, you know, you have to have your legs somewhere. And um, it looks silly, but it's the sort of thing that can happen to a goalkeeper. Of course, of course. But, you know, no goalkeeper likes to give up a goal through nope. through the five hole it's a savable shot but i don't think it's a it's a goalkeeping mistake per se the first one definitely goalkeeping mistake probably one of the biggest one that yashton has had in the Hertha goal but i think what's more worrying about for for dada and Hertha is, is the fact that they only created three shots for, throughout the entire match they were played for 90 minutes Dalton looked never really troubled and even, you know, Dortmund sort of has looked troubled in other matches when they sort of had the better of an opponent for the first half, the first 60 minutes. And when when they at that point didn't didn't have that first goal, when they hadn't taken the lead, they sort of started slipping up and, you know, Hertha were never close at making Dortmund slip up at any point. All right. You, you kind of mentioned the four-team pileup there at the bottom of the table. It's interesting because now that we... Basically can say goodbye to Schalke. I've already said goodbye to them. Uh, we got four teams that are all within one point of each other. Cologne and Bielefeld each have 22 points. Hertha and Mainz are on 21 points. Okay, two of those teams are going to stay in the league. One of those teams is going to be in the relegation playoff, and one of them is toast. You know, are you certain that there's one team who's going to be in any one of those places, let's just say? I mean, given given the recent form and given the turnaround that Mainz have had under Bo Swenson, I think they're the right now at least, looking the most likely to get out of that mess. But look at the last three matches they're playing this season. I think they have something like Dortmund, Wolfsburg, and Bayern or something like that in the last three matches. Yeah, they've got uh, is, <laughs> it's they've got Bayern, Frankfurt, Dortmund, Wolfsburg for their last four. Yes, there you go. I mean, that, those last four matches. <laughs> That's a great way to crush your dreams. Yeah. So I think... That in itself means that we have to, you know, I mean, even if it's tempting to say that minds look like they are going to be fine, <laughs> it, that, those last four matches, and remember, we only got nine more matches left. That means that a lot of Mainz's fate is going to be decided in the next five matches. Yep. So given that, I'm not certain of anything other than Chalka going down, and I think... I think that Bielefeld either is going to be in the relegation playoff or in the bottom two. Yeah, I think you're. I think that, that that's. I think that's true. Just because I want to make myself feel better, I'll put out a sort of a wan attempt at hope. You look at goals scored and you look at goal difference. Hertha are the best in both of those categories. They have the most goals scored. They have the least bad goal difference. 
that coupled with the fact that, <laughs> you know, they clearly have the best squad, you know, it's not doing anything for them at the moment, but maybe, maybe at some stage they'll wake up and, you know, start playing better. Yeah. I'm reasonably confident still that they're not going to be in 17th come, uh, match day 34, but I can't say that I'm certain. Yeah. And hurt under relegation playoff matches. That, that, that is not, you don't want to go there, do you? No, it's an inauspicious constellation right there. <laughs> go on YouTube if you don't know what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you're gonna see you're gonna see fireworks, let's just say. <laughs> All right, here comes part Two of talking foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. It's uh, match day 25, which is uh, in our sights over the past weekend. Yeah, we ended up talking about uh, teams who are still sort of battling to get back into Europe. Leverkusen in with a shout. Dortmund looking, you know, better by the week, especially in that they've only got a little bit more ground to cover uh, to, to make up on on a couple of teams ahead of them who they still get a crack at playing. Borussia Mönchengladbach. Not so much. I think all the talk that we've had to, to do about Schalke, who have, you know, just been terrible all season, we'll be talking about them again in a moment. We've given a lot of attention to them. We've given attention to some poor runs from the likes of Mainz, from, from Hertha, other teams at various points. I really feel like this run for Mönchengladbach right now is starting to get into like serious alarm bells territory. I mean, you and I, we, we were recording on Friday. We've got some, uh, some forthcoming Patreon bonus material coming up. Look out for it. It was not pretty. It was a 3-1 loss to Augsburg. Losing 3-1 to Augsburg. When that happens, things are bad. And it was their sixth straight league loss. A lot of, pundits, not just us, other smarty pants, have been pointing out that uh, this nosedive correlates with Marco Rosa, their coach, announcing he's out the door come summer. He's going on to Dortmund. Is this correlation or is it causation? I mean, let's take a look at the match at hand because both of us were watching it and I think both of us pretty much agreed that Borussia Mönchengladbach should have been up by two or three goals by half time. Yep. I mean, for sure. It was... It was nil-nil at halftime, and I remember, you know, once, you know, during during recording breaks, me saying that what is going to happen is that Augsburg are going to score a lucky goal, and that Borussia Mönchengladbach are going to chase that for the rest of the second half. And what happens? Augsburg scores their first goal from a corner kick in I don't know how long. I mean, it was so long that Heiko Hörlich actually. It was his first comment after the match. Is that, oh, it's great that we finally scored again from a corner kick. So it's been a while. Gladbach gets one back, back in the match. They look like the side in control of the match. And then they have a silly slip up in defense. And the third goal is just, you know, Andre Hahn, plenty of space, excellent finish. He shows what he can do at his very best with that lob. Yeah, oh man, that, that was a sweet goal. Probably one of the best goals all of of the match day, but um, you know, but but when you see the action of the match, you come away with a feeling that a Borussia Dortmund Gladbach doesn't look like a team that has given up. B they're still playing for the coach, and C in this case they were actually really unlucky because given the chances going 
for both sides. I think eight out of ten times, Borussia Mönchengladbach would probably have won this match. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel like this was definitely a game that just slipped away in very unfortunate circumstances. In fact, circumstances so unfortunate that they were they were precisely the ones that you that you had predicted that you know they get behind, they would you know get picked off on the counter another time or two, and you know. Bob's your uncle. The only thing that I'm a little worried about, because I agree that I don't think that this team has has quit on their coach or anything like that. I just think they, they've hit a pretty bad run of of luck, and that has also affected their their heads. Like they've, you know, begun to sort of second guess themselves, especially in the sort of converting their chance department. But at this particular time of the season, it seems like a bad time for it. I mean, now, you know, they're they're out of the cup. They're out of the Champions League. European qualification through the league for next year is looking very unlikely. They're on a dead-end street right now. I, I think it's going to be very hard for them to get back back, sort of into sort of fighting shape and really pushing for something. Yeah, I mean, each and every week, it seems less and less likely that they are going to qualify for European competition. And at, at this point, given the gaps in the table... Uh, the only thing they can hold out for is is the fact that either Leipzig or Dortmund wins the cup and they get into the newly created European Conference League in seventh. <laughs> oh, we'll be talking about the Conference League later. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you, can't, you can't wait. No one can wait. We, sh- we should probably skip ahead and wait. No, we can't do that. <laughs> European Conference League, a competition that everybody in Andorra is looking eagerly awaiting but yeah i mean that that's the best they can hope for and uh, that in itself is disappointing but um yeah it's i mean what 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 should max abel do i mean if he fires his coach at this point a he's going to have to pay him for the rest of the season b uh they're that far behind the table that it's probably not going to make much of a difference in terms of the actual outcome c it's probably better that they bring in a new guy who can start with you know a blank sheet of paper during the summer and just, you know, go from there instead of being thrown into a messy, messy situation, which this is. Yeah, yeah. I think the ball is going to start bouncing Gladbach's way. I don't know if it's going to bounce enough times to get them into Europe, but I, I think that this this run should, you know, the boil will be lanced before too terribly long. Yeah, and I mean, we, we talked about this last week and uh, we, we probably should mention that they do have a couple of winnable matches coming up because they are uh, playing against Schalke on the road, then they're playing uh, Freiburg, Gladbach. So the next three matches, they could definitely start picking up points again. Indeed. Yeah, let's, let's, let's stop talking about the amateur losers and let, let's talk about the pros. Mm. Funny. Let's talk about the team who's been putting in the work all season long they put in a really excellent losing performance on Saturday. <laughs> uh, they were they went down five nil in Wolfsburg, none other than Schalke Nulfia. Uh This is, you know, this this result probably wouldn't have there wouldn't be too many talking points, but it did <laughs> losing five nil is bad. But now their goal difference is an even minus fifty. <laughs> fifty. That is a milestone. My friend. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, there was a lot of talk about uh, Schalke being worse than Tasmania Berlin if they would have lost that or if they wouldn't have gotten that win against Hoffenheim back in the day. And, um, you know, ever since they got that one win, they, they haven't won anything, really. 
And listen, they they're now on ten points, and uh, Tasmania Berlin they ended that that one season they had the Bundesliga as well on ten points. But um, Schalke would have to lose by higher margins than minus than five goals in all remaining matches in order to top that. But um, having said that. Uh, you know what Schalke should really be worrying about is is getting to 14 points because the second worst team in Bundesliga history of all time is SSV Wuppertal who um, managed to collect 14 points and at this stage you don't really see Schalke picking up four points in nine matches do you I mean that's that's how bad that they've gotten and you know if you want to add another tidbit that is a perfect mirror of, of Schalke's season so far uh, Mustafi he got the ball rolling with an own goal. It's the fourth own goal that Schalke have scored all season, and that makes them the king of the own goal in the Bundesliga. No other team has scored four own goals so far this season. And um, yeah, I mean, if, if we want to talk about Schalke's performance rather quickly, uh, their fitness level seems to be in the dumps. Uh, the team is poorly assembled. They give up far too easily once they've met a bit of a speed bump. And additionally, I think three of those other f- Four goals that were scored after Mustafi got that own goal. They came after Schalke lost the ball in their own half, which in in modern day of age of football, it's pretty much unforgivable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if they could just sub off all the players who lost the ball in their own half, maybe things would happen. But that you you you'd have to sub too many players, even in the five the five substitution era. Yeah, I mean, you would have to have, like, ice hockey rules. Yeah. Of, of <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring in the second line. <laughs> yes. Okay, so um, this was a terrible, terrible, terrible game from Schalke and, you know, an adequate, good one, whatever, from, from Wolfsburg. This definitely helped them uh, facing Schalke at this time and in this form, helped them sort of tighten their grip on, on third place. But there is some intriguing stuff about Schalke's future, which I think – there's been a little bit of head scratching about among people outside, you know, hardcore Bundesliga fandom, considering the, the profile of the person who we're talking about. We're talking about Ralph Rangnick, the sort of illustrious coach slash sporting director who, you know, has, you know, coached a lot of teams in the Bundesliga. He led, uh, Hoffenheim into the Bundesliga to, uh, initial success. He led, uh, RB Leipzig into the Bundesliga as a sporting director. He had been linked with a sporting director job at, uh, EC Milan, maybe as a coach as well. He's been linked with a bunch of jobs in England as a coach. He was linked with various sporting director jobs elsewhere. Hertha were after him for a while with all their money. And some people didn't quite understand why it looks like he may well be taking that job at Schalke. There's, there are people who uh, are, want him. There's a fan petition saying that they want him. Nick, explain why a guy who is that successful and ostensibly could even get the Germany job, maybe. Why would he want to be the sporting director of Schalke? Probably because the Germany job is going to Lothar Matthäus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, no, joking aside, I, I would assume that... The potential uh, of the club really gets Rangit going. He, I mean, he's been there twice as a coach. He quit once because of burnout syndrome. But you feel like there's a bit of unfinished business there because he and the Schalke fans have always had a good connection. And additionally, if you if you want to become a Bundesliga legend and, you know, if he wants to take that step into from being considered a great coach and sporting director into, you know, being considered a legendary coach and sporting director. Getting things right at Schalke 
at this point would certainly propel you towards that position in the Bundesliga's history books. I mean, fair enough. You can do another team with a lot of money. You can do another club with, you know, I don't know if the 50 plus one rule is abolished and Ismay calls you from 1860 Munich and says, well, now you've got 100 million euros. Sure. But I mean, he's been there, done that at two different clubs. If he really wants to be, you know, a historic figure, Schalke is the way to go. Yep, I agree. I totally agree. I think that, you know, obviously, for my own partisan reasons, I, I kind of hoped he might have taken that other job in the Bundesliga that was dangled in front of him. But, you know, never seemed that likely to me. Schalke is a much more attractive job than than almost any in the Bundesliga, just from a pure, you know, sort of pent-up potential standpoint. It's going to be the kind of job that, as you say, if you get it right, you will become a legend. You will become an all-time great it is the kind of club that the sort of um, resources that you can marshal behind that club in terms of money, in terms of fan interest, in terms of merchandising stuff, in terms of, you know, tradition. And he's the kind of guy who likes to stay a while at clubs as long as uh, he doesn't have too many clashes with management. But if he is management, then, <laughs> you know, it's probably okay. Schalke is the kind of club that you can do almost anything with. I mean, Obviously, the Bundesliga, there's, there's a giant that's standing in your way if you want to win the league or if you want to, you know, win a lot of titles. But Schalke, everything's there. Everything is there for you to be a giant success if you just start getting things right. <laughs> the problem is so many things have gone so wrong there for so long. You know, I would just about only trust a guy like Rangnick to, to do that job. I mean, one thing that Schalke has gone got in their favor is the fact that they've done excellent youth work uh, for decades and decades and decades now so it doesn't come to a situation where like in hamburg where they've brought in horst rubisch to reform uh, how the youth work is working there where it's well this sort of thing has been neglected for many many years i mean in hamburg rubisch came in and he said in an interview in the recent issue of alfredo listen i mean it's not really been a priority over the last few years and that has sort of shown that, you know, you have to rebuild structures, you have to start prioritizing it at a different level. And these sort, sort of things take time. And um, in Schalke, no, you're not in that situation. I mean, playing in the Bundesliga 2 might actually be a good thing for a lot of those youngsters currently playing there in the under-19 Bundesliga and such. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I feel like if if uh, Rangnick comes in and it's still... Certainly, there, there is the ink is not dry. There is not even a contract yet, but people are very excited about it, and uh, it looks to me like it's getting ever more likely. But you know, if if Rangnick comes in, and gets a free hand as far as you know, hiring the people he wants to hire in the youth academy area, in the scouting area, <laughs> he could probably take a group of you know ten Knappenschmiede graduates, you know, train them in his methods for a season. And then the following season, come in and finish sixth in the Bundesliga. I could totally see that happening as long as there was, you know, a, a decent coach in place, which for all I know, Gramatis is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be some some puzzle uh, for Rangnick, but I mean, he, he's he's shown that he's good at that, and um, he's he's not he's he's not been afraid to go down a division or two in order to make things happen. I mean, he went down two divisions to take over Hoffenheim. He took them over in the third division and took them all the way up to the Bundesliga. And, you know, if you do it with Hoffenheim and all their money, yeah, sure, certainly you can do it with Schalke and all their potential. Yep, 
Yep, I feel you. I, I, I think it's a potentially exciting thing, and I hope it comes to pass. All right, let's turn our attention to uh, Reese Tigwell. Hey, Reese. Thank you for uh, saving another game, rescuing it from oblivion. I guess this week's concept is not so much that uh, the, the teams are bad or the teams are, you know, both not very interesting to a lot of fans, but just not a lot on their immediate horizon. A couple of mid-table teams, yeah? Yeah, that's right. But it was actually a really good game. Um, obviously, one 2 nil by Stuttgart, Kazim Adams scored no goal. Um, Hoffenheim responded really well to going behind, actually. They just couldn't seem to find that equaliser. And then uh, midway through the second half, a fantastic run from Wamanya Tuka uh, was eventually finished off by Austrian uh, Sasa Kalajic. But Hoffenheim actually had more than double Stuttgart shots. They created more chances. And on the whole, I think they'd be really disappointed to come away losing this one 2-0. Yeah, I think that this was definitely at least an even game. I want to talk a little bit about Stuttgart because, you know, we've kind of talked them up all season. They're, as we said, they are very much a mid-table side, so let's not get carried away. But they have outstripped expectations by a whole lot. How have you sort of looked at their at their season? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, they've got a fantastic young coach in Pellegrino Matarazzo. It's obviously his first senior job in management. He's been there since... December 2019. He was virtually unknown coming to Stuttgart, really, especially to those outside Germany. But what a tremendous job he's done. You know, he's got them playing this exciting counter-attacking football. They've got a really young, exciting team. In fact, it's the youngest in the Bundesliga. And um, what with Romagna Tuka, Gonzalez, Kalajic, um, you know, Mangala, Kulabali. They're f- now five unbeaten. They've definitely overachieved. I think staying in the Bundesliga would have been the target for the first season. But here they are now in the top half, pushing for Europe, actually, um, believe it or not. You know, they're four points off of Leverkusen in sixth. And there's also that chance that seventh place will be a route into the, the new UEFA Conference League, too, depending on who wins the DFB Pokal. Yeah, I guess maybe let's push that idea a little bit. Um, if they are, as you say, not far from Europe uh, and they have this great young core, how likely do you see this turned into sustained success? I mean, you know, it is true that young players at somewhat smaller clubs tend to um, start angling for moves before long, but they have a lot of good young players. They've got a good young coach. They've got a good management duo in Thomas Hitzelsberger and Sven Mislintat who seem to know what they're doing. And they've got, as we all know, this is a pretty big club who's not hurting for money like a lot of smaller clubs are. This sounds like a really good constellation. Shouldn't they be starting to maybe move on to bigger and better things either next season or this, the, the season after that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot will depend on you know how, how many of these players they can keep together because um, in an interview this week, actually Sven Mislintat, uh, with the Athletics, uh, Raphael Honigstein said that they had lost more than 30 million euros in in the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And he also spoke about this idea of sustainable development and said that perhaps Europe would be too much for their first season back. You know, get, getting into Europe may actually be a disadvantage for, for this team. But I think they definitely need to strengthen, of course, if they did get into Europe. And it, at this stage, I think it's really difficult to know, you know, who's there's no doubt there's going to be big teams sniffing around their, the number of those players that we've discussed. But how many of them move on is, is a different story. Yeah, well, let's let's zoom in on the one who's making the most headlines at the moment. That is uh, Sasha Kalajic. He scored, you know, 
a goal in the seventh straight game uh, against Hoffenheim, which you know is equals uh, a club record. Or does it maybe breaks the club record? I can't remember. He's definitely going to be on some people's shopping lists. I think that the, the word is at least Leipzig are beginning to, to take an interest in him. Where do you see him headed, both in terms of the, the remainder of this season? What can he prove? And, um, you know, what's his future look like? This season, I think, just more of the same. He's just 23. Um, scored 13 Bundesliga goals now in just 24 games. Um, obviously, came in from Adnerovaca in Austria. But then he had that nasty injury um, where he tore his cruciate ligament during pre-season training, only shortly after he'd arrived in Germany, which meant he actually only featured um, six of their games in, in the second division last year. And he's sort of had to wait patiently to show off his talent um, and of course, it's a big step up from the from the second division to the Bundesliga. But he's definitely risen to that occasion. In terms of the future, he's he's had like an interview a build um, recently where he sort of said that he, he feels at home here, but it'd be very difficult to turn down Liverpool. So it's about it being a club that's special for him. And when he was a kid, he remembers the 2005 Champions League final. And, you know, about when he go into Liverpool games with his brother and getting himself all kitted out, scarves, jerseys, caps and, and mugs. So, I mean, if Liverpool did come in for him, then it's definitely an offer I don't think he could refuse. But right now, I think, of course, the immediate task is, is getting Stuttgart as high as they can in the table. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Speaking of the table, I'm looking at it. Right now, Hoffenheim are in 11th place. They have, what, a nine-point buffer? over uh, the relegation playoff spot that's pretty much enough for them right now or do you do you reckon that they have any any sweating to do i think they're safe i mean inconsistency has been the problem for them this season but hernes is again another young coach and it's is definitely more of a long-term project there their next two games are against sides below them in the table yeah it's against Mainz who are in terrific form and, and Augsburg, but it's a good chance for them to respond really I'm confident that they'll pick up, you know, that few extra points that, that they'll get between now and, and the end of the season. One win or so away, I think they are. Um, and as we've previously discussed, you know, 33 points has been the average. So that would leave one other win um, to avoid the relegation playoff. Excellent. Well, Hoffenheim fans will be pleased to hear that. Thank you very much for rescuing uh, this game and, and rescuing Hoffenheim, in fact. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, speaking of rescue, we've got uh, a team that kind of rescued itself, at least from from falling behind much further in the uh, the race to get out of the drop zone. That is Mites Nulfund. They were one nil winners uh, at home to SC Freiburg this weekend. Huge three points, as far as I'm concerned. They left it real late to get that result. Robin Quaison uh, put a rebound past Florian Müller, who had just pulled off a really nifty save. Thought thought he had he had done something good there, but uh, you know. There was a, there was a, a bad lining around that, uh, around that cloud. Thoughts about how Mites is is rounding into form? I think that this story is probably still being undersold. This is this is an amazing turnaround. Yeah, I mean, I just remember the fact that we had Kickers journalist Michael Ebert, who's covered the team for years and years and years on uh on a deep dive over there on Patreon, and uh, when I asked him. So what do you think about that coaching change? What about Bo Svensson coming in now? Because we, we spoke shortly before Bo Svensson took over and he said, well, I think it's a good thing that he signed a contract that's also valid for the Bundesliga too, because that's where they're heading. 
And look at them now. I mean, they're as, as we talked about earlier on the show, they're in with a chance. And the way they've done that is that, you know, they've taken 15 points under Bo Svensson since he arrived. And, uh, you know, before he arrived, they'd only taken six. They've taken 14 points in the eight matches of the Rückrunde. In the, you know, in the Hinrunde, the, the first 17 matches of the Bundesliga season, they only took seven. So Mainz have sort of turned into a nasty opponent who finds, who creates a uncomfortable atmosphere on the pitch and additionally they top that off with having the sort of quality in their squad that can create danger in front of goal and Quaison, their top scorer from last season if he now starts kicking into form might be a good thing for them because you know we've been wondering ever since Mateta left where are the goals going to come from Quaison certainly is one of those men they are looking towards in search of an answer all right, uh, we got one more game to sort of mention. That was Cologne versus Union Berlin. That took place at the Elta Försterei. Those two teams traded penalties on either side of halftime before Christopher Trimo of Union scored midway through the second half. And, you know, that, that was it for the Billy Goats. The eyes are, they, they are still within touching distance of sixth place, sitting pretty you could say, in seventh, which could well turn into a European place if, if results in the DFB Pokal go their way. However, <laughs> the noted the noted straight shooter known as Max Cruza said after this game that he was not interested in playing in the UEFA Europa Conference League. Are we are we underselling this competition? I mean, it hasn't taken place yet, so we don't know exactly how much how many how many jollies people are gonna get from playing in it, but the name alone is is not an auspicious start. Nah, but I mean, when I heard that UEFA were going to create this third competition, I was sort of like thinking, oh well, there's a you know there's a host of great things you could create. You could create a competition of you know all the champions of the second divisions playing against each other. That would have been great. You know, I mean, look at look at the championship in England. Look at the Bundesliga two. Look at Ligue 2 in France. Look at Sierra Bay in Italy. I mean, there, there are a lot of great teams there uh, who are in with a chance to be crowned champions of those divisions. So, but, you know, they didn't do that. So fair enough. What about uh, what about a pure lottery where every round is is just a random draw? Yeah. Uh, the other thing I, I you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. The other thing I thought about was maybe they could bring back the Cup Winners Cup. I've been missing that. I mean, that mm-hmm. would have been a great idea, but they went with something called the UEFA Conference League, which 138 teams qualify for. And most of those teams, as you know, you know that I think only one or two teams from the Bundesliga qualify for this competition. Most of those teams are coming. I mean, I've mentioned Andorra, Iceland, and the Faroe Islands on, on recent episodes. Yeah, they are coming from those places. Literally, they're coming from those places. And the fact that Max Kruser isn't, you know, keen on playing in Moldova on a Thursday probably night. A, probably a Thursday midday. I can't blame him. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> Thursday midday feature. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, for, 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 for all intents and purposes, probably a great thing for, you know, fans in Uzbekistan and Moldova and uh, a lot of other states that don't really have football leagues that aren't, producing great results right now, probably a great thing for them to have, you know, Union Berlin or some other sort of like mid-table team from Ligue 1 or the Premier League popping up at their doorstep. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you really wonder, what is the point of this competition? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the expectations are uh, about, you know, either uh, attaching sponsors or television viewership. I don't know where any kind of commercial viability, much less like fan interest outside of of those smaller leagues, smaller countries, is going to come from. But uh, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll watch them. I'll, I'll watch most anything. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it might be it might be turning into one of those hipster things that you know, if the Europa League is you know too too mainstream for you, you watch the Europe Europa Conference League. <laughs> yeah, Europa League sold out, man. It, yeah, gotta, I mean, once uh, once Inter t- started taking it seriously, you knew it 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 had gone past its peak, didn't didn't you? But um, I mean, additionally, we had we do have the fact that the ESA, the, the that federation of the European big boys, they are really pushing hard for the UEFA to implement some changes to the Champions League. They want to increase the number of teams to 36. Additionally, they want to have four places reserved for teams that don't qualify through the league, but who are um, qualified through their performances over the last 10 years. So to give you an example, Arsenal, who are now currently in deep shit in the Premier League, they'd be in the competition next year because they're pretty much the best team outside of a European finish right now. Yeah, these are like uh, these are like legacy cases at, uh, at expensive colleges. Just, you know, you, yeah, you donated so much money. You, you built a new gym. Of course, we're going to let yes. you win the Jared Kushner teams. Walker can go to Harvard. Of course, he can. <laughs> no, I mean, it's. Um, I mean, with those, if those changes are implemented, you wonder what. Where does that leave stuff like the Europa League or the the European Conference League. I mean, it's it's all turning European international football is all turning into a big mess, and all we really serve with is the fact that we're getting more matches, more meaningless matches, and um, all it really does it's it sort of serves as a as a purpose and an excuse to put more money into the pockets of the big boys like Bayern München, Manchester United, and the rest of them, and you know that's what we start with. Yep, you got to feed the money machine. That's all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. You know, once again, lovely time spent with you, Nick. It's been uh, excellent, as always. And uh, I'm so saddened by the fact that I'm I'm going to be away for the for the next couple of weeks being uh, <laughs> in the mountains doing cr- cross-country skiing stuff, which, you know, I'm trying to keep up my Norseman image. And uh, th- that's probably what it takes. <laughs> Doing your idyllic Norway stuff. Yes, yes. Uh, if you want to follow Nick on Twitter, he is at Normusings. I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Don't forget to listen to our uh, Historic Match Day Moments series on our Patreon page, as well as some of the deep dives and Talking Foosball Extra episodes. There's a lot over there. Please uh, give some thought to uh, chipping in a few bucks or quid or euros or whatever. Uh, we would appreciate it. It helps us uh, get things done over here and keep uh, production standards very high. If you want to contact us collectively on Twitter, of course, we are at Talking Foosball. We would love it if you subscribed and rated us positively. Talk to your friends about us or, you know, maybe just don't. Okay? Until next time, y'all. 